in the Old Testament that speak about Jesus and his life and over Christmas, particularly those scriptures that talk about the birth of Jesus. So I've really been immersing myself in these Old Testament scriptures. And what's really struck me is that sometimes there are people in the Old Testament and events in the Old Testament that also speak about the gospel. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but Joseph... In the life of Joseph, we, we see many events happening that happened to him that were later to happen to Jesus. And I think it's more than just a coincidence. And so tonight I want to take you through the story of Joseph that we find in, in the book of Genesis and, um, and just stop as we go and point out, hey, take a look at this. Is this a coincidence or is this uh, something for us to take note of? So Joseph is really this fantastic guy in the Old Testament. He's probably the person in the Old Testament with the best character. Um, he doesn't fall into sin. He, he is just a solid guy who seems to do everything right. There's a little bit of immaturity, but it happened when he was young, so you can't hold that against him. So Joseph lives this exemplary life. And it's in his character, too, that we, we see some of Jesus. So I'm going to assume that you're all familiar with the story of Joseph. Otherwise, I'd have to read Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50, which would pretty much take us to 8 o'clock. Uh, so we're not going to do that. So the story is set in the 15th century B.C., and we read in Genesis 37 the following Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brother. So this is how the, the story starts. Jacob, as you know, was the guy who became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He pretty much fathered all of the guys that then became the various tribes. But it's a very complicated family because this was a family where Jacob got tricked into marrying the woman that he didn't love. You know the story. It was like a, a, he worked for seven years before his father-in-law would agree that his daughter, Rachel, that he was head over heels in love with, could marry him. So he worked, he, he worked hard for seven years. And then eventually it came to the wedding, and she came obviously heavily veiled. And uh, there was a lot of partying, and they had a great honeymoon. And when they woke up in the morning, he found out that he'd been tricked. And uh, he was married to his fiancée's sister. But uh, he didn't give up. He then worked another seven years and finally got to marry the woman that he really loved, which was Rachel. So this Leah character is having lots of babies, uh, lots of babies, and that was regarded as being a really good thing, particularly if you're having lots of sons, and she was just churning them out. And poor old Rachel, the love of Jacob's life, could not have any children. 
And can you imagine the heartache month after month after month, disappointment after disappointment, year in and year out? And then in verse 22 of Genesis 30, we read, God remembered Rachel. He listened to her, obviously all her prayers, and opened her womb. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace. She named him Joseph. And this explains why Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Firstly, because he kind of had like a miraculous birth. I mean, Joseph was born to Jacob in his old age. Perhaps we could say of Rachel, she was beyond years, if you know what I mean, like the Bible uses that phrase of some people. And, and this was the, the love child, the child with the woman that he really loved. And that's what made Joseph so special and why Jacob treated Joseph with, with such favor and gave him this fancy cloak uh, full of lovely colors so he even looked different to all his brothers and sisters. I'm not saying this is good parenting, by the way. Firstly, just have one wife. Uh, and then secondly, treat all your kids the same. Okay, because that's, that's what works well in life. So this is the first similarity between Joseph and Jesus, believe it or not. There are a lot of sons, but this is the special one whom the Father deeply, deeply loves. And that was true of Jesus. And Joseph has a special relationship with his father, different to the kind of relationship all his brothers had. And the outcome of this favoritism is predictable. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Jesus was, Joseph, well, Jesus too, was, was disregarded by his family. You know, in the Gospels, there's that time they, they go off to fetch, cra fetch crazy Jesus because they're a bit embarrassed about him. And Jesus' brothers and sisters didn't all believe in him at first. He was kind of the kind of weird one in the family a little bit. John, who wrote uh, the letters of John and became an important figure. In fact, I'm thinking of James. He, he only became a believer later in life. Here's another parallel between young Joseph and Jesus. He had an incredible destiny planned by God, and his destiny was that he would reign over everything. And that was Jesus' destiny as well, but at first it was Joseph's. And God used to, to speak to young Joseph. He would have these dreams, one of his famous dreams, maybe you sung about it at school, in Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. Any of you sing that, or was it just me? It's quite an enjoyable little musical. I've forgotten it. I'm getting distracted now by all these memories of junior school. Uh, where am I? Um, okay, he had a dream. That's it. He had a dream. So he dreamt there were these seven fat, thin cows. 
And then he dreamt there were seven fat cows. And then the thin cows ate all the fat cows, and the thin cows were still thin. Sorry, I'm getting muddled up. That's not Joseph's dream. That's the Pharaoh's dream that comes later. Gee, you can see it's been a long year, guys. (laughs) Wow. I'm really, really needing a holiday. Okay. Okay, yes, that's the dream. Thank you, Brad. Gee, it's even in my notes. Okay, so this dream is not about cows. It's about wheat sheaves. And uh, there are 12 wheat sheaves, and in another dream there's the moon and the stars, and Joseph is, is the main sheaf, and everybody is bowing down to him. So he shares this with his brothers and his parents, like, hey, I had this dream. You guys are all worshiping me, bowing down. Isn't that awesome? Okay, no, not, not so awesome. His brother said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. And his brothers were jealous of him. And you'll notice that that's the reason why the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. They were jealous of him because of his claims that he was going to rule over everybody, that before Abraham was, he was. And then as the story progresses, he, he goes off to visit his, his brothers, a little bit like David when he went to visit his brothers before he whacked Goliath. So Joseph's going to visit the brothers. They see him at a distance. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and we'll just make up a story that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. And so he is, in fact, rejected by his family, his brother's betray him, and he's thrown into a pit, and that's also can be a metaphor. It often is in the Psalms for being in deep, deep trouble. One of the other parallels that we see here is that he's then sold into slavery. They suddenly realize the brothers, hey, instead of just leaving Joseph here to die, we can actually make some money out of the situation. I mean, that's better than just killing him. As they sat down to look at their meal, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming. The the camels were loaded. And so they decide to, to sell Joseph. And somewhere it tells us, yes, down the bottom, third line from the bottom, they sold him for 20 shekels of silver. He's betrayed by his brother And he's sold for 20 shekels of silver. And you may be thinking, but hey, Jesus was sold and betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and that's because of inflation. (laughs) (laughs) These are just some of the parallels. Jesus, Joseph is sold for 20 pieces of silver. He's bound and handed over to the Gentiles. He's betrayed by his own kith and kin. These are all pictures of of what's going to happen to Jesus. 
Verse 31 is also significant. We told they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. And you'll remember that when Jesus was betrayed, handed over, and crucified, that his robe also would have been covered in blood after he was flogged. And his robe is also examined, and the guards at the foot of the cross cast lots as to who's going to get his bloodied robe. Other parallels is that lies are made up about both Joseph and Jesus. For Joseph, the story is concocted. A lion must have killed him because we, we found his technicolored coat and it's covered with blood. He must be dead. The story was made up about Jesus. Uh, someone came and stole his body in the night. And the death of Joseph is tremendously painful for Jacob, his father. This was the son that he adored, that he treasured, that he loved above any and everything else. And this precious son, Joseph, in his mind was, was now dead. But there's a kind of a resurrection going to happen. But he didn't know it. Another parallel here with the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus is that Joseph moves from a place of abundance, from being in his father's presence where he was treasured. He moves and becomes a slave, and we see that happening in, in the life of Jesus as well. The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt, and now he's a slave. It reminds me of Philippians 2, where it talks about Jesus being the Son of God in this place of blessing and favor, not in a technicolored coat, but in glory, in honor. He too becomes a, a slave. None of us here can imagine what slavery was really like to, to live the experience. But Joseph was a slave. And we read, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Just want to point out that sometimes we use our circumstances and what's going on in our lives to decide whether God's with us or not. Here's someone who is a sold into slavery, betrayed by his family, lies told about him. And we read the Lord was, was with Joseph. Doesn't matter what goes on in our lives. We can still experience the favor of the Lord upon us regardless of what seems to be going on around about us. We also read in this passage that the Lord blessed Potiphar. You see that bottom line there. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had because Joseph was there. Because Joseph was there. Is that the kind of employee that, that you are? Just your presence in a situation is somehow bringing in the blessing and the favor 
of the Lord because it can be like that. Another parallel between Joseph and, and Jesus is that they both face tremendous temptation. Joseph had a, a me too moment. It was more like a me too year. Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. And this goes on and on and on. And Joseph pleads his case. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you, his wife, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. This is a remarkable situation when your boss's wife is trying to have an affair with you. And as a slave, Joseph must have felt, felt some sort of entitlement. I'm here slaving away for nothing. Now's my chance to get something out of the situation. But his faith comes first. His faith comes first. And one day when they're alone in the house, Verse 12, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. She called her household servants. Look, she said, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, to rape me, but I screamed. It's amazing how people's emotions can change, right? After passionately pursuing this guy for who knows how long, now she hates him. And when hubby eventually comes home, Joseph is falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. Thrown into prison. And once again, even though Joseph's in prison, now he's a slave who's falsely accused, who's in prison. The Lord was with him. And the Lord showed him kindness and granted him favor. And even the whole prison prospers once again because the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord gave Joseph success in, in what he did. There was such an anointing on Joseph that wherever he went, there was blessing and peace and, and success. But do you notice that in this terrible situation, again we're told the Lord was with Joseph. And then in prison, he starts to exercise his spiritual gifts. Two guys have dreams, and they're disturbed about the dreams. And they come to Joseph and say, hey, Joseph, like, what are these dreams I'm having? And unlike much personal prophecy today, which always tends to be good news, this was, you're going to die, you're going to live. The cup 
bearer and the baker. And they have dreams. Joseph interprets the dreams, and it comes to pass. The one is put to death, the other restored to his position. And Joseph is able to say, do not interpretations belong to God. He gives God glory. And as I pointed out, the one is saved and the one is lost. This also reminds me of Jesus when he's in his darkest hour. There are two men with him on the crosses with him. One is saved, one is lost. And then there's a bit of a gap in the story. And we just read this, oh, when two full years had passed, like that was Joseph just chilling in prison there for two years. It's a, just a sentence in the Bible, but yet to live those days. When two years had passed, the Pharaoh had the dream. I don't have to tell you the dream now because I told it to you earlier. Thin cows, fat cows. Thin cows eat fat cows, thin cows still thin. And the Pharaoh's very upset. I've had this crazy dream and, and I don't know what it means. Verse 12, oh, I remember when you were in a bad mood that day, verse 10, and you imprisoned me and the chief baker, the guy you killed. Each of us had a dream the same night, and there was this young Hebrew guy there, and he told us the, the meaning of our dreams, and he was spot on. So they sent for Joseph. And like Jesus, who said, I only do what I see the Father doing, Jesus, Joseph says, look, this is not about me, but, but God will give Pharaoh the answer to his dreams. There's that scripture about Jesus saying, I only, I only do what I see the Father doing. I, I, the Son can do nothing by himself. He only does what the, the Father tells him. It's similar to Joseph's attitude there. And Joseph interprets for Pharaoh what the thin cow, fat cow dream is all about. It's not a new weight loss program. Well, it's about a weight loss program. <laughs> <laughs> there is going to be famine in the land for seven years. And prior to that, there was going to be seven prosperous years, and they needed to pack away and store up in storehouses as much food as they could get their hands on. And then Joseph, I don't know if this is a job interview, a job interview for Joseph or not, but he says, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to, to, to handle this. And Pharaoh's uh, pretty taken in by Joseph. Can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace. I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Boom! Boom! 
That's the fulfillment of Joseph's destiny right there. And all of those dreams about the sun and the moon and the stars bowing down to Joseph, all of those sheaves of wheat gathering around his sheave and, and bowing down, it's all about to come true. It's all about to come true. And Joseph is made the two I see in the one superpower of the world at that time, Egypt. Again, this is like Jesus, who is God's two I see, who is God's prime minister. We read in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 that the head of Christ is God. Just as Pharaoh said to Jesus, I'm going to raise you up, give you a new name, come and sit at my right hand. That's what God the Father says to Jesus. Because you've humbled yourself, now you're going to be exalted and given a new name, be seated at my right hand. Joseph receives a new name, and Joseph begins his public ministry when he's 30 years of age, just as Jesus did. God blesses Joseph, and he has children. One is called Manasseh, the other Ephraim, which is why there's no tribe of Joseph is the 12 tribes, because it became the tribe of Ephraim. And Joseph can say, he calls him Ephraim, because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Amen. Isn't that amazing? But we're just getting warmed up here. It gets so much better. Come on. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. Notice Joseph is now the savior of humankind. The whole known world has to come to Joseph to live. It's a picture. He's a type of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Joseph fulfilled that role at this time in history. And to cut a long story short, the brothers in Canaan are, are forced to also leave the promised land and to go to Egypt. And they arrive there to, to beg for food. They're at death's door, perhaps. And when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger. And they're speaking through an interpreter because Joseph's now fluid in Egyptian. Where are you from? Ah, oh, you from Canaan. And tell me about your family. Okay, I'm jumping ahead a bit. Oh, your old man's still alive. I'm, I'm pleased to, to hear that. Oh, and in, in his... Old age, he's had another child, a lot, lot lamaki, through Rachel, called Benjamin. 
called Benjamin. At this point, the floodgates open. Verse 2, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, but he doesn't let on why he's crying. He's just overcome with seeing his family, hearing that his father is still alive, discovering he's got a brother. Joseph is, is so moved by this. Now he starts to test his brothers. He wants to see if they've learned anything. If they, if they feel any remorse at all for betraying him. So I won't tell you the whole story because it, it takes a long time. But he plays a few tricks on them. And he kind of manipulates the situation and he forces them to, to bring little Benjamin now. He must show up because he's labeled them as spies. There's a whole story about Benjamin and Reuben stands up and he's saying, yeah, yeah. he says, oh, you know, we've already lost one son and the old man will just, won't be able to handle it if, if Benjamin goes to you. And so Joseph sees now that his brother's hearts have changed. Eventually, there's the big reveal. And Joseph says, hey guys, it's me. It's me, <laughs> Joseph. You can imagine the effect that had on the brothers. They were terrified in his presence. And I want you to notice Joseph's character here because this is where it gets pretty awesome. Verse 5. Brothers, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Is that not just awesome. I almost tear up a little bit at this point. A lot of people would have been, now I'm going to get you guys. Let me tell you a thing or two about what I've been through these last few years. Do you know what it's like to be a slave in Egypt? Do you know what it's like to be falsely accused of rape? Do you know what it's like to be in prison? All of that resentment that could have stewed for five or six years or ten years, however long it was. All of that resentment, there's none of it. Joseph's heart is... Guys, I don't want you to be hard on yourselves, distressed, even angry with yourself. Because actually God orchestrated the situation. He's done all of this to save many lives. I mean, is that not incredible display of character? It goes on, verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant on earth and to save your lives. It was the very betrayal of Joseph, the selling him for 20 shekels of silver, leaving his comfort, being forced into humiliation and slavery. That very action 
resulted in their salvation, and we see the same thing in Jesus. The people who crucified Jesus, who were part of that whole conspiracy against Jesus, they were doing all of that so that they could be saved if they so wished. And then there's this awesome reconciliation and lots of howling and kissing and crying. That's verse 15. And then again, we have this wonderful theological statement. This is after Jacob has now died. And now the brothers think, okay, now that dad is dead, he's been waiting for dad to die. So now he can torture us. But Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see how profound that verse is theologically. Sometimes people can do evil things, terrible things to other people. Like when Jesus was crucified and people did that to him. When people sometimes do evil and terrible things to us, this is also true. That God is at work in all things for the good of those who have been called by his name and who love him. And finally, we we read that Joseph died and became a mummy. Some of the comparisons between Joseph and and Jesus. He's the object of the Father's special love. He was mocked and rejected by his family. He was sold for silver, stripped of his robe that was bloodied, handed over to the Gentiles. He was falsely accused. He was faithful in temptation, thrown into prison, stood before rulers, His power was acknowledged by even those in authority. He saves his rebellious brothers from death when they realize who he is. He's exalted after and through humiliation. He embraces God's purpose, even though it brings him intense physical harm. He is the instrument God uses at the hands of the Gentiles to bless his people. He welcomes Gentiles to be part of his family. He gives hungry people bread. And people bow their knee before Joseph. Well, I hope you found this interesting. Let's pray. Lord, as you walked on the Emmaus Road... We read, starting with the books of Moses, you showed the disciples how so many of the scriptures spoke about you. You opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And we see, Lord, in the story of Joseph, so many parallels. It doesn't seem like it's coincidental. 
Thank you, Lord, for all that we learn from Joseph, his impeccable character, his resentment-free living. His steadfastness in the face of temptation. And thank you for these theological insights that Joseph shares with us. That even while others are meaning it for evil, that you, Lord, are so great and so good that you turn situations around and use them for our good. Help us to realize, Lord, that whatever's going on in our lives, whatever terrible things may befall us, that the Lord can still and will be with us. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us to see you in the in the, in the dark places, in the hard places, for we know you're there, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.